Guys, welcome back to the Built for Life podcast with me and yours truly, Miss Mrs. General. Oh. It's fucking well weird that I still write Miss and everything all the time. No wonder, like, even when Joanne refers to me as a husband, I'm like, don't feel old enough to be a husband. I know, <laughs> fucking well weird, isn't it? Is, is I, write my, I write my maiden name for everything. I, I'm honestly what only my married name in, like, a business capacity. You know, it's so funny as well, like, when you were doing the the half marathon a few weeks ago <laughs> I put in your bib number and it wasn't coming up so then I typed in I started typing in Jen slash Jennifer and there was just so many that came up too many searches to accommodate um, who you're trying yeah. to find whatever it was in the app and then I just was like well do you know what this is quite an ideal circumstance Rolich no one else is called Rolich <laughs> so I typed in, typed in Rolich and it was just one person there uh, it's the only time it's beneficial <laughs> easy to find um, so Guys, welcome back to another episode of Mark and Jen talking about all things you need to improve. And you know, we like to do things probably quite seasonally here as well, because I see so many things across, not just the clients we work with, but the conversations I have in social media, the coaches I work alongside inside of a business mentorship I'm a part of, and the issues that their clients are having. And we want to touch on a few concepts today when it comes to inaction. And I believe there are six main concepts you have to consider when it comes to not taking action on the things that you want to achieve for yourself. Now, the six stages, number one, in no particular order, lack of accountability and pressure. So the way that I would like to, 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 to pose this to you is we've spoken in this podcast before how you get three layers of pressure usually, or three layers of accountability, sorry, um, when you're going through like a coaching program. You're accountable to yourself, you're accountable to your coaches, you're accountable to your community. Um, that can go for anyone. You could be in a CrossFit gym, you're obviously accountable to yourself to show up, to do training outside of it, to eat well outside of it for your performance, the community that you're with inside of the gym, the coaches you work alongside in the gym. It could just be a gym that you go to, to attend classes with, but you've got a community of people that you do that with. When you go along, you've made friends, you've built connection. Um, it could really be classed with those three stages of accountability into anything that you do, um, because you can always create it. Even if you're doing it on a, on your own, you can still connect with people who are on a similar journey. So the lack of accountability, I usually believe, is always starts with you anyway, because if you're not accountable to yourself first and foremost, and you're not accountable to engaging, asking questions, um, wanting to progress, then you're never really going to have any sense of accountability to a community of people or to the coaches anyway. You're going to disregard what any coach tells you if you're not wanting to be accountable to yourself. You're not willing to be accountable to the problems that you are actually experiencing and you're not wanting to actually bring them to the forefront and you just want to avoid them. And you only want to focus on the things that you think are relevant. Then there is no real sense of accountability that you can have from these other layers. And you're just letting yourself down anyway, because if you're not then able to get these other stages of accountability that actually strengthen your potential to do well in a set area, then you're fucked. Jane, what's your view? Yeah, 100% agree. And I think there's something about, um, I say this to coaches quite a lot when they feel like their clients are struggling to be or they're struggling to hold their clients accountable. And I know you've said this before, but like accountability go, goes both ways. So it's not for a coach to create, like to force accountability. A, a coach can't make you more accountable, right? Yeah. Than you are willing to be. Like the job of a coach is to hold the right space for you to hold yourself accountable to. So a coach doesn't hold you accountable. You hold yourself accountable to a coach. 
and the reality is is that a coach can only ever coach what you're willing to bring so mm. if you're not willing to bring the realities of what you're finding most difficult the realities of where you feel that you're making progress and you're not willing to look at yourself honestly and objectively, then you're not going to get a wholly rounded coaching experience. And the bit that always makes me laugh is like, we know when people are fucking bullshitting us, right? This is the thing. And don't get me wrong, I remember battling this with this for a long time. I used to lie to you fucking constantly. Constantly. And- I could see it through it. <laughs> but we can laugh about it now because I really thought that I was hoodwinking you. And uh I've seen I see people do this all the time. I just need to get to this point, then I can be honest with them. So I just need to get this bit of weight off and then I can be honest. And I just need to get this done or I just need to have a good few weeks under my belt. And then then I'll open up and then I'll engage. And the reality is is that if you can't engage with coaches when you are in the depths and when you are really struggling and you can't hold yourself accountable to not doing things, then you're reinforcing the shame and guilt that you think you should feel around not doing them. You project it onto us and then you just repeat the whole cycle. But actually we can all just break that cycle if you're willing to be honest and open and aware enough with yourself around what needs to change because the thing that you need to work on is often the thing that you are avoiding the most. It's often the thing that you want to disregard the most or forget about or put in the back burner. That's very often the thing that is going to routinely hold you back and no matter how many times you think you've found a solution or a distraction, it's going to keep reading its head until you give it the time and attention that it deserves. And I think a lot of time when people think about accountability, they think about like us being the equivalent of the person that goes into your house and takes the biscuit out your mouth. Now, you can employ me to stand in your house and take every biscuit out your mouth that you put in, but what happens when I go because you've never learned how to stop going for the biscuits in the first place or why you were going for the biscuits in the first place? Like the job of a coach is to help you understand why you're going for the biscuits and stop you before you go to the biscuits, not to just be there and pull the biscuit out of your mouth every single time. And obviously I'm not talking, I'm using biscuits it's a metaphor half half metaphor half reality but I think that's where a lot of people get wrong is they they go to the coach at the point in which the biscuit's already in their mouth and go that I can't stop doing this pull it out for me like force me ask me to do this like come looking for me if I go quiet come looking for me if I go hiding and I'm like but then we're never understanding why you hide in the first place. Then we're never understanding how you change that behaviour. Like, I'm not here to pull out the biscuits. I'm here to help you understand why you're going for the biscuits in the first place and how we stop you from even going there. And I think for me, that's the big difference when it comes to accountability. That old saying, isn't it? Like, the the answers are in the work that you're avoiding. Because they always will be. They always will be. And there's so many times where I've said to someone, what is that thing in the back of your mind that you know is the problem that you're just not willing to say? And they'll be like, oh, nothing. I can't think of anything. We all know. We all know yeah. whether or not we're, we're willing to listen or not or accept the truth of it. We all know. And the second actually aspect of this is like the pressure aspect. Like there always has to be a degree of pressure, I think, for you to change. And I always think that my greatest growth and success has came when I've fully invested in myself and just went all in with my decisions. Like I think back to when I was getting like bullied, jumped constantly, my windows were getting panned in, people were coming to my house and threatening my mum with like weapons and stuff, saying they were going to kill me for 
actually not really doing anything but just choosing not to hang about with a particular gang of people. I remember at that time, I had no option but to start going to the gym to get myself fitter, stronger, leaner, bigger, whatever it was so that I could defend myself. Like I had to go through that because see if I just stayed the way that I was and comfort ate behind closed doors and was timid and felt um, afraid every time I left my house, then what sort of life is that to live? Like I had no other option but to do those things. When I was um, working jobs that I hated, that weren't fulfilling me, that weren't paying me enough to travel, that weren't paying me enough to really do anything more than actually just settle my bills on a month-to-month basis and not really give me the life that I wanted for myself, there was no other option than to go and find a career that I could build that would allow me to do those things, like going out and doing my personal training course and then and then progressing over the past decade to where I am now. And I was never, ever going to let that feel. Like, it was a point of no return. Like, I am going so far into this that there is a point of no return. I'm going so far into looking after myself, developing my strength, making sure that I can defend myself so much so that I'm never, ever going to consider even going back to being that kid that was timid and shy and afraid of absolutely everyone. Same thing in business. Like, I am not going to let this fail. I'm taking myself to a point of no return that I cannot pack this in. Imagine I just shut up shop tomorrow. (laughs) Like, it wouldn't be possible. Like, even if I wanted to, which I never would, like think how many people I'd be letting down. There's a point I don't return from where I am now. Like yeah. I put myself and my identity so far from that. There needs to be a degree of pressure. And you need to ask yourself, like if you had to change one thing within your life, what would that one thing be that would totally propel you in the direction that you wanted to go in? And I see this so often in people that I've had not even just trauma, because you don't even have to have trauma. You just have to have like pain in your life. But I think a lot of people don't actually admit to the pain. Like people will come to us and say, I want to focus on the body composition. I want to get leaner because they fucking hate the relationship at home. Like mm-hmm. one I've seen a couple of times is the the women that look after the kids at home. Their husbands have a good job, well paying. And when we try and talk to them about putting better boundaries in place, buying time back for themselves, communicating with their husbands about when they can take the kids so that they can go to the gym and focus on themselves. Oh no, that won't happen. So find another solution for me. Where really I would see that as a pressure. What would you need to change within that relationship to actually make you happier so that you could actually be healthier and you weren't turning to food for comfort? You weren't feeling as though you were always doing what your husband wanted to do because you felt like you needed to because he was the man of the house, he was the provider. I've seen so many women's processes and journeys like that fail because they're unwilling to see that if they actually changed this one thing in their life, the approach that they had with the relationship with their spouse, that they would actually be happier already and actually want to engage more in the process of of bettering themselves because they want to do it, not for the need for escape. And it kind of goes back to that old saying of like, are you training and eating well just to look good? Or do you look good because you're training and eating well? You know, so many people have it backwards. And I really think the people that have the intention just purely on the body composition side of things are just running from things, not because they have no other, they have no other option, but more so just because they think they're going to find something at that point that's just going to revolutionize their life and transform the way that they think and live when it's not the case. Instead, you need to have that intention and perception that the pressure is on you to, to feel a particular way through your actions. Yeah. 100%. 100%. I just want to say as a side note, I absolutely love that by hanging about with me, I've just turned you into a feminist. It's fucking great. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I think you already, you already had the capacity deep down, but I feel like I've just forced you to um, bring it out. So so in for the girlies. Um, <laughs> no, it made me think about, I said this to someone uh, recently, a private client, 
And it was like, um, and I watch health and fitness coaches do this all the fucking time, right? And it's that old chestnut of um, from struggle always comes success, right? So whenever you're struggling, um, you want you want to be struggling because success is always on the other side of that. And it's like, aye, that's all very well and good, but then how do you sustain the success if you tell yourself that you can only get it from struggle? So then what happens is people continually seek out more struggle, more pain, more difficulty. They start to sabotage as they get closer to a goal because they have absolutely no fucking idea of how they're going to sustain it unless they're in fucking pain. So they seek out struggle, they seek out pain, they make things more difficult for themselves and they go off of the perception that the only way I can ever live life happily and live life well is if I'm fucking struggling and it is such bullshit. Like, don't get me wrong, there is a place for it, right? There is absolutely a place everybody can name a time in their lives that they've found so difficult and that they've struggled so much that's been a pivotal moment and a pivotal shift that they needed to happen, right? And yes, they're fantastic and yes, they're necessary for growth, but they're not the fucking norm. Like, you shouldn't be having those big struggling in the depths pivotal shifts like every couple of months. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not a sustainable way to change and it fucks me off because I think a lot of the time coaches will use that as a selling tactic for people who are struggling and in pain to say I hold the key to your success when they don't um, but I think it just creates this perception for people that they almost normalise difficulty and I think we see this quite a lot and I think that goes the case for for many women who do take on the, the, the predominant role of what goes naturally with their gender roles but being the wife, being the mother running the house, taking the psychological responsibility for everything and organising and blah, 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 blah. And I think, like, it's almost reinforced or normalised. This is supposed to be difficult. So people just expect difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. And I'm like, yes, you want to have a degree of resilience to be able to persist with challenge, but, like, Life shouldn't be constantly fucking relentless and challenging. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And if your perception of life is that it's always relentless and challenging, like maybe you need to work on your own mental well-being, your own resilience. Like there's probably work to be done there if that's your outlook and view on life. And I think I just find it. I think that's why so many people find this such a difficult way of life to sustain. Because it's almost like I'm not struggling, so I need to find struggle, or I don't know why I'm this way. Because nothing difficult's happened to me, nothing bad's happened to me, so I shouldn't feel this way. And it's like, well, do you know what you do? So, like, let's accept it, right, yeah. and work with it instead of trying to fucking shy it away. It's there, and you can't hide from it. Um, and like I said to you this morning, something that I see all the time is that just because you don't believe that it's true doesn't mean that it is. It doesn't mean that it isn't like whether you believe it or not doesn't decide whether it's fact or not. Like you don't get to decide that something isn't true just because you don't believe it. Like things can be factually correct and my point of view is not more valid or real or justified than your point of view, right? But I feel like people who are so welded to the belief that because I believe this, I must be correct. They then struggle with that constant need for fucking struggle because they, they determine that as I must be suffering to be successful, and it's just not the case. No, I know you're actually so bang on. And I think what we do, and it's probably why we get into the process of like just talking so much, is like we as coaches, especially on what we know, 
we understand the perception that can come across from what we say. So when we say something, we very rarely say it as like a blanket statement. Mm. So like there's been times where I've worked with people where I've said something and their bias and their belief around suffering and struggling and being in pain has caused them to think that what I've said is that you should always be in pain and always be suffering. So when we talk about like inside the Built for Life program, like suffering and struggling on your own terms voluntarily, that means that you should have an incredible life outside of the physical endeavors that you are going after and the kind of mental capacity that you need to overcome that challenge. It's yeah. not, I want you to be suffering all the time. Like I don't live my life suffering every fucking day, right? <laughs> Apart from when I'm training, like that is where I go to suffer for me because I know there's growth in it. It's yeah. not that I am sitting here in pain mentally, emotionally, every single day thinking about how I can sabotage myself. Yeah. And I really do think that's why we we digress so much from what we say because we try and make sure that everyone feels as if everyone feels as if what we've put across to them is clear and they can't pick up something incorrectly. Yeah, 100%. Because we do have an awareness of how much our bias influences the way that we coach because we understand the psychology of coaching. So there is never, nobody will ever be able to coach completely objectively and without bias. But what I won't do is be welded to my bias and say, no, I'm right, you're wrong. If you come at me and tell me, actually, I believe that that's incorrect and this is what I believe to be true, I'm not going to sit here and argue about who's right and who's wrong. It's not for me to decide that you're wrong and it's not for you to decide that I'm wrong, right? So what we have to do is understand, okay, from our two different perspectives, how do we find the commonality? How do we find the similarity? And most importantly, how do I make sure that you are centred in this? Because I recognise that if this is what you believe about yourself, it's not for me as a coach to contest that or change that, right? What I will highlight are the beliefs that are going to hold you back from the change that you want to create. But it's up to you whether you want to change them or not. It's not for me to change your beliefs. It's for me to bring attention to the things that you believe that I believe are getting in your way of reaching the outcome that you want. That That's the key difference. And I think when it comes to the, the struggle, like there is a spectrum. Do you know what I mean? There's a spectrum of struggle. Like sometimes right. the suffering I need to endure is two kilometres of uphill running. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Right. Yeah. And sometimes the struggle that I'm enduring is battling with my mental health for weeks at a time like one I'm selecting and one I'm not but there's a spectrum of struggle therefore they're going to need fucking different interventions like and I think I think that that's something that people probably I think when you've lived with mental illness for a long time as well it almost sort of skews your perception where struggle and difficulty can actually feel quite comforting and it's a really really weird sensation because it's so familiar like it can almost be like like I'm really depressed and I'm struggling to get through each day, but this is such a familiar feeling that I'm all right with it because like I've been here so many times, like there's like a sense of comfort in it. Um, so at that point it needs to be right, okay, well I need something unfamiliar because I can't stay trapped in the familiarity of something that's fucking shite. <laughs> I'm going to need to treat it with something like unfamiliar. And I think there is, there's a spectrum of struggle, but I think people will overload themselves with so much difficulty that they just can't sustain and then think, oh my God, I'm never going to get there. And it's like, you're choosing a lot of pain that you actually don't need to endure. Yeah, oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, like, I applaud the guy, but it's kind of like what David Goggins puts across and everyone's, like, shouting about, like, how incredible that way of life would be. But it's only, I mean, it's only going to take you further into the depths of despair. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's only going to take you to further pain, further struggle. It's only going to take you to a point where you think that you are 
you're cured from all of that when really you're just sticking a fucking band-aid on it and focused yeah. on something that gives you validation back from being a savage you know like if you actually want to be a savage on your own terms show me that you've sorted all your fucking problems and that you're not yeah. doing something to avoid it um yeah. the next one was the limbo stage and the limbo stage is actually quite an acceptable one um and there's probably no need to spend too much time in this but the limbo stage is like when you're injured for example and you can give what you perceive to be your best, your 100%, even though it looks different on different days, as we know. But you've got an end date from the physio. So in four weeks, you should be back running. You should be back in the gym, being able to squat. You've got an end date. So it's like, okay, I can wallow a little bit here. I'll still keep ticking over with what I'm supposed to do. I'll do my rehab. And then come the four-week point, I can get back into things. Or like when people are moving house, for example, one of the most stressful things you can do, I am going to pull back and focus on all of this stuff that I can, I'm going to remove these things that just did a little bit too much for me now. And then when I've moved in, the furniture's delivered, we've got everything in place, the white goods are sorted, come this date, I'm going to be back to working. Whereas people sit in that limbo stage for far too long when they're going through those things. So it's like when you come out of the injury, when you come out from moving house, when you come out from having a newborn, like even something like that, like it's time to start to accustomize yourself to to real life again <laughs> and make sure that you keep your standards high um the next one after that though is obviously the lack of belief that's the the, the one of the things that stops people from taking a lot of um action and causes mm -hmm. a lot of inaction i think this ties into the next one to be perfectly honest kind of ties into them all to some degree but the next one was self-sabotage and avoidance so how do you feel like those two connect like your lack of self-belief with self-sabotage and then avoiding the things you have to focus on. Yeah. So self-sabotage is an, an, an interesting one because I feel like a lot of people don't have an understanding of what it actually is. So, like, a lot of the time what I watch will happen, particularly with the intersection between self-belief and self-sabotage, is that because the belief hasn't yet gathered enough evidence, you will sabotage the closer you get to a goal, an outcome, a feeling, etc. So not be generated for a really long fucking time, right? And I think a lot of the time people will wait for self-belief to come or they will accept self-belief as a, as a barrier to success. So I'm struggling to do this because I don't believe in my ability to do it. But then that's a total like that's a total like um oxymoron. Like you struggle to believe in your ability to do it because you're not fucking doing it. So one's got to be true. Like, and I think a lot of the time, I think a lot of the time people will blame lack of self-belief or self-sabotage to avoid understanding what the thing is. So nobody will come to me and say, here is how I specifically behave in a self-sabotaging manner. I say that I want to lose weight. However, I don't believe that I'm worthy of being in a body that I care about because of this thing and therefore I end up eating for comfort and I repeat that cycle. There's a self-sabotage cycle, right? I'm getting closer to this goal and I recognise that I look different, but psychologically I still feel the same because I still have this view of myself. I don't believe that it will change. Therefore, the goal is becoming futile. Then I'm repeating a self-sabotage cycle. But what I watch quite a lot of people do is come and say I'm self-sabotaging. And I'm like, right, okay, where? Oh, we might eating. I'm just not very consistent and I'm being quite lazy. Right. Well, that's not a self-sabotage cycle. That's that's a very fixable behavior. Cause if you're just being lazy with your cooking or whatever, or you're being lazy with your eating because you've not got enough time to cook, there's a very easy fix there. 
fucking order meal prep, meet that, job done, right? Prep my Sunday, there we go, solved, solution, right? So the only reason that would be a self-sabotage cycle is if you were setting yourself up for all that success and then just fucking it all off anyway. So I think a lot of time people will blame that and they will blame self-belief. I just don't believe that I'm going to be able to do it. I don't believe that I'm good enough. And I think sometimes people will use these as deflection tools as well. I'm self-sabotaging, so don't ask me about it. I don't have any self-belief, so don't ask me about it. Like, if you're aware or you think that it is these things, then you have to have an understanding of what you need to work on to be able to change it. So if I did believe in myself more when it came to training, what would that look like? How would I behave differently from how I'm behaving right now? Like, what is the pivotal point? Because a self-sabotage cycle will always have a pivotal moment. If you're aware you're in a self-sabotage cycle, you will be aware of the behaviour that is continually sabotaging you. So if you don't have that level of awareness around what the the pivotal moment is, then it's not a self-sabotage cycle, right? So if you have an awareness of what the pivotal moment is, that's when we can take the time to understand what is the belief that's driving the self-sabotage. Once I understand what's the belief that's driving the behaviour, right, then I can understand, so what's the pivotal behaviour in the cycle that it starts to repeat? It's almost like um, now when you're on those roller coasters, right, and they get to like a certain point and it's slow, 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 and it starts to kind of roll back slightly, and then all of a sudden it goes forward, right? That's how a self-sabotage cycle will work, is there will always be that pivotal moment where you're like, is it going to go back? Is it going to go forward? And in that moment, you have the capacity to change it. But if you don't build up enough belief and evidence that you can change it, then you're going to continue to repeat it again. And I think because so many people operate so unconsciously around their behaviours and don't really take the time to be more aware of how they behave. They don't know what the pivotal moment is. They don't know what the pivotal behaviour is. So when I say things to them, that what was going through your mind at that moment, nothing. Just was doing... I had absolutely no awareness you were even in that behaviour pattern that is a self-sabotage cycle. So I think people will use it as a as a blame game type thing like I don't want to talk about that and that's what I think it is words and phrases being used and just kind of band them about and go I it must be that so I think you need to have a you need to have an, an awareness and a level of understanding around what the sabotaging behaviors are um, and if you want to be able to build the on the journey of first understanding what what are the behaviors what are the beliefs that are driving my behaviors and how do I start to conduct behavioural experiments that are going to change the way I believe about the behaviour? I said this to someone recently. You cannot expect your mindset to just shift and change and grow automatically. It doesn't work like that. If you are showing up for your physical transformation every single day by being intentional about what you eat, being intentional about how you move your body, how you sleep, how you recover, you need to invest changing your mindset and that means being aware of how you speak to yourself and challenging that thought the same amount you're aware of I want to eat six freddos but I'm going to go and eat this instead it needs to have that same level of energy time and input it doesn't just mean listening to a self-help book whenever you feel like shit and then listen to a couple of chapters and then patching it that's no. not going to change your mindset you need to be actively invested in it and and I'll cool. Love that, love that. And 
the, the thing I, I'm so drawn to about it is the fact that people just don't put the time in to try and understand where the behavior is coming from or really what it is. And I think this is like, as coaches, we're always trying to develop self-awareness for people. And I actually said to the guys last night that I think that self-awareness is your ability to focus on yourself and how your actions, your thoughts or your emotions do or don't align with your internal standards. So see if you're frustrated by the way that you're acting, you're frustrated with your behaviors, you're frustrated with how emotional you are in certain situations, instead of blaming why you're getting emotional, instead of saying, I've just got a sweet tooth and that's why my behaviors are this way, instead of justifying your actions by blaming someone else, why don't you look at why you're getting frustrated? Look internally, look at the standards that you have for yourself and are you living up to those standards? Because every single time a client comes to me and they're usually trying to blame something, I always just flip it around and I try and look at why they're feeling that way as if they have to blame. I'm like, yeah. so why is this conflicting with you? It's even people who, like, you'll have seen this countless times before, people who are really hardworking, right? People who are busy fools, people that just want to fill their diary with as much as they possibly can, always want the validation for doing the best amount of work, but also burnt out. So at the same time as doing all this stuff to try and look so wonderful, they're negative as fuck because they're just dysfunctionally thinking on a consistent basis. Those people will complain about the individuals that can leave the office at five o'clock on the button. <laughs> Me, four years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah. but it's because you would love to be able to do that most of the time. Like yeah. you start to say what a lazy cunt can't believe they never pick, uh, pull their weight. They could have been pulling their weight the entire shift just because they're not doing as yeah. much is you why is it you struggle yeah. time off why is it that you they're probably working a hell of a lot smarter and that as well that as well so it's like you've got this identity that you are so tied to and these behaviors as a result of it are keeping you trapped and keeping you stuck but instead you'd rather complain about everyone else and why they can do what they can do instead of looking to change your behaviors because you're actually triggered by the fact that you would like to be able to do the things other people are able to do a hundred percent a hundred percent and like your beliefs about yourself will always dictate how you respond to an external stimulus, right? The external stimulus is never, ever, ever going away, okay? The the belief of when X, Y, and Z is done, then I'll have a clear run at it, right? I just need to wait till that goes, and then I'll be able to... And don't get me wrong, I believe this for such a long time. Like, I believe... Go all in and no distractions. And I it worked, but it doesn't work in the long term because I wasn't able to sustain it as soon as life got challenging again because it wasn't a realistic thing. It's like, do you remember um, that program? Was it the American one, The Biggest Loser? Or yep. they used to do um they used to do all these fat camps. I used to be desperate to go to a fat camp, um, where they take you away to the fucking the celebrities used to do them all the time. They take you away and I six hours a day and then you come back like a fucking supermodel and you think your life's changed and you put the weight all back on because you've achieved the you've achieved the change in the circumstances that were set up only for success right so if you don't navigate if you can't way by changing what you believe about how you should respond to it you're going to keep responding to the same external stimulus in the same way every single time so when the kids are sick when what supporting a family member when you've got an injury, regardless of what the external stimulus is, if you don't change what you believe about yourself with creating evidence around how the behaviour influences 
less in the same way, right? Which means that when you look over, say, a year of your life and you look at all the different circumstances and situations that happened, you look back and say, oh, would you know what? The reason I wasn't successful this year on the weight loss journey that I set out on January is because all possible for me to do right so hopefully next year less things happen and I'll be able to get success how fucking unrealistic is that because life is going to continue to happen the reason you hate the person walking out the office at five o'clock is because you hate that they've been disciplined enough to invest enough time to do their work themselves like and you think that for some reason that's just not possible for you but actually it is you're just making a different choice you're responding to the external stimulus in a different way and deep down you want to be able to respond to it differently but you're telling yourself you can't and I watch people create their own rules for themselves like all the time and I'm like who fucking made that rule up like you made that rule up you have as much power to change that rule and not respond to it as you did to create it. So rebel against your own fucking rules like you are a grown adult. Yes, of course, there's always going to be challenges that we experience in life, but this is why it's so, so important to focus on how they respond to this external stimulus slightly markers of progress for me when I talk about talk to people who have been in long-term change and the things that I notice most in myself are very, very minor details and how I respond differently to the same situations that I've always experienced. And this is one of the things I love to talk to people about the most is because I know that at that point, the, the chemistry of their brain has changed because they've had a paradigm shift and they look at life through a different lens. And they'll come and tell us, like, before when I used to do this, it what used to happen and now... Like, even for myself, like, when I think back, like, I know I've said, I don't know if I've said this in the podcast, but this is my first ever winter of my whole adult life without any antipsychotic or, um, like, like depression. Uh, What's that called? Antidepressant. (laughs) My brain's not working fucking. I probably could be dead with the fucking medication now because my brain's clearly (laughs) fucking not participating. But for, for my whole adult life, so the last time... I was not medicated would have been when I was 15, right? So you're talking, well, I'm 31 next week, so you're talking. A long fucking time. Right, a long ass fucking time. So how I respond now to challenges in my mental health, because the thing is, is that mental illness never goes away. You just learn to live with it, right? But when I look back at how I used to respond, and I'm like, that's the market of success, because I can look back at last year and the year before that and the year before that and say, Look at how all those differences and responses have been. So the external stimulus has not changed. Winter still comes around every year. My mood still dips every single year. I still experience, I still live with all these mental illnesses. How I respond to it is the thing that has changed because I can't control the stimulus ever. I will never be able to control the external stimulus. I can only ever change how I respond to it. And that meant letting go of what I believed to be true and being willing to challenge what I believed by behaving differently. It is literally, it is a neuroscientific formula for change. Like, and you can't argue with the science. You might not want to believe it, but that... Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Don't believe it if you don't (laughs) want to. You know what I mean? Go and argue with the folk with the PhDs. Don't argue with me. (laughs) It's actually been quite nice that you've not had a psychotic breakdown 
Yet. Yet. <laughs> I'm putting the yet in there. Yeah, it's only October, mate. We've got a while to go. <laughs> in fucking winter yet, you know what I mean? <laughs> to be fair, if I manage to get through the first winter of my life without a manic episode, I'm going to take that as a huge success. But um, if I start seeing anything mental, well, more mental than normal, then just be on guard. I don't even, even realise half the time when Jen isn't Jen. So, like, I don't even know what to call her. Joby. Big Joby. <laughs> when Big Joby comes up. Sounds like Joby. It's Scottish for that, though. But um, I actually can't notice the difference. Like, I remember the first time you ever told me you had a manic episode, and you are like, ah, I've been manic for about three weeks. And I was like, but you, you've been here, and you've been talking to me <laughs> for sessions for, like, three weeks. And she's like, I know. Can't really remember any of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Stabbed me. You know what I mean? Listen, you never know. I might have just said the wrong thing. I'm laughing because, um, like, you, you'll be like, oh, I didn't really notice a difference in people in my work would say that all the time. Paul, on the other hand, <laughs> he's been living with Walter Ego. Why are you washing the walls at three o'clock in the morning? Who you knows? As well, don't you? I'm pretty sure you told me you buy stuff. Yeah, mental stuff. So one year I bought, um, I was convinced that the house was going to flood. So I bought like a fuckload of sandbags and then one year, I mean, if you don't laugh, you'll greet. And then one year, one year, I think, when was this? It wasn't last year, was it maybe the year before? No, it'd be a few years ago now. Um, I signed up for every, allot- like every um, allotment in Scotland. So like every council area has allotments and I became obsessed with, I thought that like, um, because I can only remember glimmers of stuff. So this is all like this is when Paul's explaining this back to me because you don't remember like anything. You remember wee bits, but you don't really remember like the whole picture. So basically, I thought that like at some point we were going to like there's going to be no food and we were going to starve. This is before the pandemic. No, it was twenty twenty. Um, there was going to be no food and everybody was going to starve. So I was going to have to start growing my own crop. So I decided that I needed an allotment. So I bought all these books, like books and books and books on allotments. I signed myself up to an allotment in every council area across Scotland. I was now going to fucking Aberdeen to plant fucking veg. And then eventually I was medicated again and I came to and I had all these councils foreign me for fucking months of that it's fucking five council here we've got an allotment for you and I love for fuck's sake that one haunted me for ages fucking nightmare <laughs> let's just say I'm glad I'm so fucking married to you having to go through that <laughs> I know god love him I can just turn my phone off and be like right she's psychotic I'm just <laughs> I'm not dealing with that today for a few weeks um, <laughs> the next one was worrying about what's next but I feel like we done a full podcast on that last week so yeah we did we need to touch on that if you want to go into that in a little bit more depth Go back and listen to last week's podcast. Um, final one we've kind of spoke about briefly is the waiting room. Um, the waiting room is a dangerous place for many people. As you've kind of alluded to already, it's people saying, when things are perfect, then I'll just be able to do this. Once all my nights out for Christmas are out of the way, I'm just going to be able to get back to things in January because people are doing dry January. There's not as many nights out. People don't have as much money to spend after Christmas. It's been a five-week month. Um, so it's easier because, you know, the environment's easier for me just to do nothing in, in regards to all these distractions that are usually in- influence me. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your view on the waiting room? Yeah, I call it purgatory. <laughs> Um, because I think 
So I watch everybody do it at this time of year, particularly, because this is often when people have lost purpose for why they're doing what they're doing. Um, And not even just people who are on like that kind of transactional fat loss journey. Um, I think for a lot of, for a lot of people, they will find purpose and milestones along the journey of their year. And this time of year, like we as humans will always behave seasonally. We will always behave differently in different seasons, right? Around this time of year, it is unrealistic to believe that you're not going to want to spend more time in the house, that you're not going to want to eat more, that you're not going to want foods that are more comforting. Like, to believe any differently is so fucking unrealistic. And why would you deprive yourself of those instinctive needs within you, right? Why would you deprive yourself of the things that instinctively feel right to you? You're going to feel more tired. It's dark at fucking four o'clock in Scotland, right? Like, that's shite. So accept the fact that it comes every year and it's always you're always going to feel differently. You're not going to behave. To expect yourself to behave the exact same way the whole year round is just you're going against your own fucking and like what's instinctive to you. you're going against your own not what's the word I'm looking for like human nature like it's just the way that it is so accept the reality of your human nature first and foremost but I think what happens to people around this time of year is not just in terms of like a change of season but also a change of perception like I feel like people lose a lot of this time and space around what is any of this actually for now so because they maybe don't have and I watch people do this dead funny like we when people get a change in gym program or they're waiting on a new program or they've signed up but they've not started the training for the program yet so they're like oh fuck I'm just frozen and I don't know what to do well actually you've been handed a gift to decide whatever you want to do you the pressure is off and you get to find how do I do the things for now that just make me feel good and that I just enjoy you're not tied into a plan you're not tied into rules so go and enjoy the space and the freedom to decide how you would like to do it how you would like to train what does make you feel good like exercises maybe you're not normally programmed for a machine that you've seen in the gym that you've never used before right some mental daft form of movement that you've always had your eye on but you've not had the time in your week to do it because you've been training for stuff right so I watch people put themselves into limbo what no fucking reason other than they are looking for something else to give them direction instead of finding the direction and the meaning in themselves. And obviously we spoke about this a wee bit more last week, but this is why I'm so heavy on the perception of life being the goal. Because when life is the goal and you have those times and space in between, you get to decide for yourself, not how do I get myself to the next goal, but actually how do I make this the kind of life that I am happy to live every day with all of these things as part of my day-to-day How do I find a way of accepting that this is an overall part of what I want to do? And a lot of the time, this comes down to compounding different behaviours as well. So for example, I used to love strength training. As I've got older and I've got more into like running and kind of conditioning type work, I don't enjoy strength training as much as I used to, right? So if I'm going to strength training, I'm not really interested in in a physique goal. So if I'm going to strength training for a physique goal or I'm going to strength training for I don't know I don't I'm not really going to give a fuck about it and I'm not going to want to do it right I'm not going to be 
interested in just going for the hell of it, right? So I need to find that thing to have another compounding interest. So now strength training has a compounding interest for me because it makes me better at running because yeah. my legs don't fatigue as quickly because they're getting stronger, right? It makes the other things that I'm doing possible. So that for me then becomes a compounded behavior. I'm interested in this thing now for a different reason because it facilitates something else that I'm actually interested in. That changes my relationship with it. It makes it easier to do. Did I have if I had the choice, still wouldn't fucking do it. Yeah. But accept the fact that I can I can have a better relationship with something that I don't particularly enjoy fully because it's going to be a part of my life forever. So I need to build my relationship with it instead of expecting it to change how I feel. Do you get what I mean? And I feel like that that's the big difference for me about the people who choose to stay in purgatory is they will fuck about for the next couple of months, shit themselves two weeks before their Christmas night out, aggressively diet put it all back on and start again in january like imagine never having to start again in january it's the most fucking liberating feeling in the world i feel like this year will probably be the first year of my life where i've not gone into a january thinking fuck i need to start again and i cannot actually wait <laughs> to see what is possible when you live the kind of life where you're not fucking starting again or getting back to square one like fuck that so much you don't need to live that way liberating and I think so many people sit in that mindset because they, they tell themselves they can't like snap out or wish I could just snap out of being in this frame of mind I wish I didn't think this way I think that I could control my thoughts well you absolutely can take someone that's psychotic you know, <laughs> and, right, that's been on medication been abused like been through all this trauma like always been heavier set as you would usually say because that food gave you comfort made you feel strong made you feel secure when someone was telling you that being attractive was was a terrible thing, you know, like pushing you down so much to tell you that you shouldn't look a certain way because all that does is idealise how other men look at you and you're not allowed to be looked at by other men. Like, this stuff is so deep-rooted. And if someone like Jen can pull herself out of that and look at these things in a different way, why can you not? Like, I had a binge eating disorder, pulled myself out of the binge eating disorder and now keep myself in really good shape year-round, not because I'm I'm looking good due to the fact that I'm focusing on it so much. But as Jen said there, it's more because like I'm fueling myself and I'm living my life the way that I want to, which allows me to look a particular way. That's when it becomes effortless. That is when it becomes a lifestyle like that everyone talks about. And it actually does annoy me when coaches still talk about like, I help you in 12 weeks develop this lifestyle where you never need to diet again. And so Why? it takes fucking years. It takes years of trial, error, turbulations, and you have total control over the way that you view it, but you're choosing to sit in the waiting room for longer periods of time, probably down to the fact as well that it is so familiar. It is who I see most people, or most people that I see in the waiting room are the people that always have had that cycle, that yeah. battle with their weight, that seasonal battle with their weight, that that kind of cultural dieting process of I will start again in January, I will go hard before my Christmas night out, um, I will diet rapidly four to six weeks before my summer holiday. Like they have all the best intentions, but they apply the pressure when they realise what's around the corner. It scares them and they must. So when I was talking about pressure earlier on, I mean, what pressure can you apply to yourself to change dramatically so much so that you never have to be in that level of pain again? It's not what sure can you put on yourself to get the result but it's how can you make it a life yeah a hundred percent and I think like it's this this is a thing that I say to people a lot and I think it took me a long time to get my head around it as well is that there will always be 
reasons and there will always be things to blame and there will always be a reason for me there will always be a reason why I can't do it or why it's more difficult for someone like me or why I particularly struggle with it more I will always always find a reason I've multiple things that I could blame from physical health conditions for fucking long covid like to living with PTSD like and I'm one of many people who will have multiple different things as do you multiple different things that we could blame from childhood all the way through and crucially that doesn't mean that you've not been a victim of fucking horrific things like we've both been a victim of things that were shit and that weren't our fault and that we shouldn't have had to go through but we did and something that I recognise so much now is that I can only ever be responsible for myself and for such a long time I spent a huge chunk of my adult life sitting in the waiting room sitting in fucking purgatory waiting for somebody to come down and say I've found the answer come on I've got the secret and I recognise that actually even if I understand what it is even when I understood what it was and I did have those breakthrough moments that make a huge difference, I was still responsible for getting myself out of it. Like, what I had to do to change my life was no different as a result of finding out why I was that way. Like, what I had to do to change it, like, I had more meaning and purpose for why I was doing it and more meaning and purpose for for the understanding, and that helps. But what I had to do didn't change it, and actually learning what I had to do how I had to approach it still took a long fucking time (laughs) like to understand Christ that's showing up here or triggered by something that I've never by doing something that I've never done before that I've never experienced before like there are so many things that you will not learn to navigate until you get to the point where you're actively trying to change it so like it's only now after four fucking years that I can that I can actually say right I understand like this is just what I do and this is just the way that I like to live my life but here's where my energy I'm so intentional about where I spend my time and energy like this is where my time and energy is going right now if I'm experiencing and a challenge with it like what's the thing that's getting in the way but like even like I said this to somebody, I said this to one of my pals, like for honestly the last six weeks, I would say I, I've wanted to do nothing except lie in my bed and pull the duvet over my head and do. So because that's what I'm being pulled back to do, I need to do the exact fucking opposite. <laughs> and I don't know when this feeling will go away, but I, I don't need to know. Like, I don't know. I find it quite hard to describe, but... I think a lot of it comes down to just an understanding that you will, sometimes you don't find out the reason why and sometimes you can't pinpoint it and sometimes you don't know why it is. Um, Your default, because what you need to do for yourself should always come from a place of self-respect and nobody ever gets somewhere shite making decisions from a place of self-respect. Boom. That's a great finishing point. I think that... It was a, a, a fucking line crossed. <laughs> That's how we, but, and again, there's times that you would have believed what I was saying not to be true, but now that you're here, you can... Oh, now- I thought you were fucking Billy Bullshit because I didn't want to believe it was true. And- <laughs> yeah, you always have been, always will be. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a great note to finish on. So guys, 
if you're unsure of where you are in those six different points of an action and you need help with it, reach out to me and Jen, share the podcast for anyone that may find this useful within your circle on your social media platforms, whatever it may be. And we'll be back with some more gold next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.